Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 11 of the Linkage Podcast by Episcopal Retirement Services. This episode is for the week of July 6, 2020. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Brian Reynolds, Vice President of Marketing for Episcopal Retirement Services. And I'm here with Kristen Davenport, our Director of Communications for ERS and our Executive Producer. How are you, Kristen? I'm doing well, Brian. It's good to talk with you today. Yeah, it's good to be back after the July 4th holiday. Yeah, it seemed like there were just uh, fireworks everywhere you turned. It was uh, quite a celebration. Yeah, absolutely. So the Linkage podcast is uh, dedicated to educating our audiences about issues regarding aging, informing people about the mission of ERS and the way that we bring our mission to life in our everyday interactions with residents, clients, families, and our staff members. So, Kristen, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the show that we've got coming up today? Today on our show joining us, uh, we have two residents. We have Vivian Klein, who is a resident at Marjorie P. Lee. Vivian is an author, and uh, she talks with us about her book, amongst other things, The Goings-On in Hyde Park there at Marjorie P. Lee. And we have M.L. Gorman, who lives in our Dudley Square community at Episcopal Church Home in Louisville. And M.L. Gorman is uh, quite a gardener, and I know you guys had a great conversation about uh, that and many other things. We'll also check in with our president and CEO, Laura Lamb, and get the latest for this week. Sounds like another great show. I surely enjoyed my interviews this week. So uh, with that, you want to set up your interview with Vivian? I'd love to, Brian. Vivian Klein is a a wonderful resident at uh, Marjorie P. Lee. Vivian has led an interesting life. She's uh, an author and an artist. Let's hear how Vivian is taking both of those parts of her her life experiences and personality and putting them to good use, uh, helping her neighbors make it through this uh, time of being distanced. Welcome, Marjorie Pete Lee resident, Vivian Klein. Vivian, thanks for being here today. Well, it's my pleasure. And how are you doing today? I am doing just fine. It's very hot outside and very cool inside. And it's a very summery day and I'm doing fine. Can you share with some of our listeners uh, what you've been doing during these times of uh, restriction or being cautious about what we do and how we do it. Um, what have you been doing to, to stay engaged? Well, I ended up being one of the few that likes her hair better now than before. Huh. One of the things that all these women cannot get to the hairdresser and they are bemoaning the fact. So yes. I ended up as a knitter, knitting these strips, knitting them together to make colorful hair bands and um, I just give them away and I I wear them myself and we all say that when we are allowed to be close together again we will take a big photograph because I must have done a 30 or more and we will have a photograph of black heads white heads (laughs) colorful bands and it can promote ERS as a matter of fact or maybe it's just for ourselves. I love it. What a great invention. So you've, uh, that's the proverbial taking your lemons and making some lemonade out of that. That sounds wonderful. I actually have seen you wearing one, but I will look 
for more photos to come of that. That's wonderful. Well, and I know in your lifetime, in your career, you've had so many different artistic pursuits. Not only are you an enamelist uh, and are very accomplished and have work in galleries all over, um, you're also an author, an author of four books. And I thought maybe you could share a little bit about writing those four books, but also maybe are you doing some writing right now? Well, the strange thing is, one of my books is slowly being turned into a musical. Oh my goodness. And when that happened, the person who was to write the music came to me and, and said I should be part of it. And I said, I don't know anything about writing a musical. Well, you're the author. Mm-hmm. And it's been four years. It takes a long time. These people are busy and it's had its ups and downs. But at the moment, it's somebody is doing the music for the second act, and it might actually come to pass. Is this a Cincinnati production? I don't know what the production will be. (laughs) When you write a book, the big thing is to get it published, and that's that. But when you write something that becomes a musical, you have to find it director, you have to find series, you have to find money, you have to have a place. So I don't know. I'm just very curious and find it very interesting because it's been different kinds of people than I would have met otherwise, which is fun. And it's ongoing. I say it's a race between it will get done before I die or not. Right. And we shall see. And this book is the Let Freedom Sing. Is that correct? The name of the book? That's right. Yeah, that's what it's called. Tell our listeners a little bit about your book. Yes. Well, it's a good story in itself, I guess. I went out on a ladies' day to an antique show, and they were interested in crystal, and I was not. So I wandered to the back where there were people selling works on paper movie posters and elderly couples sitting at card tables with shoeboxes full of postcards. In these postcards there were label tags because people, I didn't even know it then, people collect postcards of a city or postcards about a holiday or trains and I came upon one that said Negroes. Well, I hadn't seen that word in so long. It sort of sparked my interest, so I picked one up and I bought one. And on the way home, I thought, that's a good thing to collect. It doesn't take up much room and it's kind of interesting. So I ended up collecting a lot of postcards, but I specialized in the history of the Negroes in America. And I came upon one that I had to research, which became the cover of the book. And it's the story of the first Fisk singers who came up from the, after the Civil War as boys and girls in a small school. And the white business manager and singing teacher had overheard them singing songs, not yet called spirituals. Mm -hmm. And he thought that if they sang them in northern churches, people hadn't heard them before. They mm-hmm. could make some money for their little school. Mm. And they did. And they did this for nine years. And they went to Europe 
and they sang before the queen and the queen's portrait painter painted their pictures. And the that of picture England. was, yep. <laughs> wow. And that picture was what was on my postcard. So I thought, oh, that's such a good story. I will make it into a book. And I, being from Cincinnati more recently, I decided to include some characters in the past from Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not just a straight story of the singers, but it includes uh, Henry Ward Beecher and uh, the woman who started Brookwood Pottery. There are all kinds of people in it. And the beginning of baseball, as a matter of fact, which mm -hmm. st started right here in Cincinnati. Yes. So it's been fun. It's been a, a long time blooming, so to speak. Well, that is a very, very interesting story of how you um, turned that um, little new hobby into something that became a, a really, it sounds like a major research project and then a book and now a musical. It just seems like the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, well, I did the research long enough before I had a computer. So I worked in the library uh, in the basement doing research at Cincinnati, wonderful library. And the only other people in the basement were people muttering into their little machines and they were known as the genies. And they were people doing their genie, their history of their own family. Their genealogy, was, oh wow, yeah. Yes, the genealogy. So that sort of dates it, because now you want to do research, you can stay in your own comfortable home and do it on the computer. That's for sure. Well, that is an amazing story. Are you writing anything new these days? Hither and yon, yes. I have written up the story of the beginning of the book all the way to the musical, just keeping track, and eventually that, that, that in itself will make a story, I think. I do too. Yeah. What else have I been writing? I've been writing short things. The first thing I did was put all the letters my husband and I wrote to each other over our whole lifetime. I found he had kept them all and I had kept them all. So I typed them all into the computer and it became a book. And it's called uh, Love in the 40s, 1940s when mail came twice a day, <laughs> yes, which it did. I love it. That is a, a great theme for a book, especially it gives us that little peek into the way correspondence was so important and so different from how we correspond now. Absolutely. One of the reasons we began writing so much is when we first had a long and wonderful date, we were separated because I went back to college and we were not allowed off campus, nor could we have any visitors because of the polio epidemic. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> it's a little bit like right now, only yes. a, different, a different illness. And we could not get off campus, so we began writing and writing and writing. Well, there is a very good life lesson there for all of us, you know, when, uh, when you're uh, a little bit uh, changed from your normal patterns, a little bit restricted, that doesn't mean life is over. You just have to 
adapt and go on. I, I guess that's a, a really good lesson for today as well. Well, Vivian, it's been wonderful talking to you. I know that you're um, going to be celebrating a birthday soon. So let me say happy birthday to you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm going to do it on the computer. My daughter has taken a whole lot of my email addresses and we're going to Zoom on Friday. Oh, fantastic. I love it. Uh, well, I hope that uh, Friday is a wonderful celebration for you and your family and friends. And uh, I would love to see a picture of that Zoom conversation. I bet it's going to be a, a big gathering of all the people that you love. And I hope it's a, a wonderful, wonderful day for you. Well, Vivian, thank you so much for You're talking here today. Best of luck with your musical. I can't wait to hear an update on that soon. I hope COVID is not getting in the way of the progress of that and that it can come to fruition soon for you. Thank you. All right, Vivian, take care. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Kristen, what a great interview with uh, Vivian Klein. I, I really enjoyed hearing about her uh, writing and her stories and her life at Marjorie P. Lee. Yeah, Brian, she's uh, quite a creative woman. Um, she's one of the folks that's uh, featured in our art show, which is uh, going to premiere at Marjorie Peely. Of course, it's a virtual art show, uh, but uh, glad she's a part of it and many others at Marjorie Peely. Yeah, it's so, so cool that we have so many creative people within our communities and for them to share those experiences, I feel are so special. Well, Brian, next up on the show, we have our president and CEO, Laura Lamb. It is always great to hear from Laura because uh, her guidance is so key, well, all the time, but especially during these challenging times. So here's Brian and Laura's conversation. So we're back this week, the week after the 4th of July with our president and CEO, Laura Lamb. Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm doing well, Brian. How about you? Good, good. Good to hear your voice. It's been a, an interesting week, kind of the news cycle, and I think it's very pertinent to, to where we are as a company, and uh, we were talking about it a little bit earlier, but um, we're seeing uh, more and more infections in our community, particularly in Hamilton County, which has impacts on our business and our staff and our residents. Just wanted to talk about that and, and the impacts on you know, our, our communities at Marjorie P. Lee, our affordable living communities, and, and how you're kind of seeing, you know, the, those rates of infection and how, how they impact us. Yeah, it's been um, a difficult week, um, for sure. You know, um, as you as you alluded to, the, really the um, elephant in the room is what's going on in Hamilton County. And, mm -hmm. you know, last Friday, a week ago, um, right before the holiday, I think the the city of Cincinnati did exactly what they needed to do, and they voted seven to two to make um, in the city of Cincinnati uh, face masks um, mandatory. And then we came back from the holiday, and the state of Ohio published their data that really showed that Hamilton County was trending in exactly the wrong direction. You know, we were mm -hmm. rated as a as a red, which is level three. Right. which is the second highest category um, in the state. And at that time, we were only one of five counties, but as recently as yesterday, we're up to 11 or 12 category or counties in 
in Ham or in Ohio right. that have that high rating. And they, again, they're trending towards the highest rating, which would be purple, which um, my understanding is that would be another stay at home order. Right. Um, so we're moving in the wrong direction, Brian. And it's very concerning um, because um, at the same time, uh, we're again reopening and the governor in, uh, of Ohio and Kentucky has issued guidance on, you know, outdoor visits for residential care and outdoor visits for nursing. And, you know, our organization has to take all that in and balance the desire for us to reunite with our families with the responsibility to provide the safest environment that we can for our residents. And, um, it's been like, like I said, it's been a heavy week, um, understanding what would be the best, uh, action, uh, for our residents in our communities. Yeah. I know you were, you, you were talked with our staff. We have these biweekly staff meetings over zoom that are, are really great and well attended by our team. But, you know, you, you talked this week about the concept of caution fatigue and, you know, there's a lot of people out in society that are, naysayers of using masks and things like that, but it's really um, about protecting each other. And, and while people don't always see symptoms, they may have symptoms. I think we, we talked about a, a recent podcast we were listening to about that. So I don't, can you talk about the, the caution fatigue and, and these really basic steps that I think are so important, not just within our own organization, but maybe in our greater society? Sure. Well, in essence, caution fatigue is a phenomenon. It, it's not. It's not because of the pandemic. It's not a new thing. It's yeah. where the brain, kind of, when you when you're basing your actions on fear and safety, that that the human brain can only do that so long. It's not sustainable, and so caution fatigue says that when you're stressed and you're worried and you're overwhelmed, which most of the day we've experienced those emotions, yeah. um, that, that you, you wear down. And, and so you become fatigued and it's harder to do the very things that you may know that are important. And um, the analogy that we shared with the staff that I think really resonated is, is, is it's kind of like that, you know, we're, we're in this period where we've been plopped down in the middle of a marathon the only problem is, is that we don't know where we are on that 26 mile stretch, right? We don't know mm -hmm. where the finish line is. So yeah. we don't know how long we're going to have to keep this up. And that creates anxiety. It creates worry. Some, and it creates this feeling of being overwhelmed and, you know, caution fatigue um, is you have to kind of reframe your thinking to say, you have to, we, we have to do something differently because we don't know where the end of the finish line is, but right. we know that these things that are based on science do work. And, and the, the two that I feel like I'm a broken record with you, Brian, but I'm going to have to do it again. Mm -hmm. um, just begging people to understand that there's science, medical science behind wearing a mask and social distancing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Brian, we came across a really effective video for our staff and, and so much so that the residents wanted to view it as well. And it, what it did in very simple terms is really demonstrated 
you know, the difference of, you know, air particles in the air and what happens if you have a mask on versus when you don't. Right. And, you know, what happens to air particles if you're two feet apart versus six to eight feet apart? And it's compelling. Mm-hmm. Compelling. And indoor and outdoor indoor and the way airflow. Exactly. How air flows different indoor mm-hmm. versus outdoor. So the science is behind it. it. It, you know, that the best thing that we can do, and if, if we all just focused on these two things and did them as if our life depended on it, because it does. And, and if it's not our life, it's somebody else's life. Right. We have to wear our masks. We have to social distance. And, you know, Kentucky, did you hear the news that Kentucky is, has mandated uh, masks in public? Yeah. State? Yeah. Yep. I think that is amazing and wonderful. And I cannot wait for Ohio and Indiana, where are other communities um, that those governors um, do something similar, particularly if we're, we continue to trend as an example in Ohio and even Indiana the way we are. Yeah. And I think the other part of it too is we have to make these assumptions that either we have been exposed to the virus and maybe asymptomatic or person that you may be next to in the store, you know, if you're going into the grocery store or, or wherever, not everybody necessarily is sick is carrying around this virus, even if, even if you're not in a highly populated area, right? I mean, there's a lot of debate about this virus, you know, is it, is it contagious when there's, when people are asymptomatic, when they're mm-hmm. pre-symptomatic, you know, mm-hmm are the symptoms so that you discount them. So for example, the one example that I heard recently is, oh, that's my, I woke up and, you know, my neck is stiff. Oh, I'm assuming that it's because I slept on it funny. Right. Well, maybe not. Maybe that's the first sign that, you know, is that a symptom or is it a pre-symptom? And, you know, I don't want to get into that debate, but your point is excellent. We have to assume that everyone has COVID. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. That every we have to we have to change our thinking that we everyone has COVID and therefore you know what it reminds me of Brian is um, years and years ago um, in healthcare we made a transition to universal precautions. Mm-hmm. Anyone that's worked in healthcare knows that universal co- precautions are you know wearing. Um, you know, wearing gloves, you know, washing your hands, all these things that we reinforce with healthcare workers that these are universal things to keep yourself safe and keep your patients safe. Right. And in, in a world of COVID, when it's a new virus, the science is evolving every day. Mm -hmm. We have to adopt this universal precaution mindset, I think. And what that means is in addition to everything we've learned about other diseases, we have to add in our toolkit, wearing masks and social distancing as universal precautions that we all take every day, every time we leave our house, period. And and not wait till it's too late. I mean, I think there's we were talking earlier, there's so many examples of the warnings we've heard over the, the months from Italy and then New York. And now we're starting to see it in 
towns like Houston and down in Florida where the ICUs are starting to become over overrun and you know I'm sure everybody down there now has a story of somebody that's infected and in the ICU or have lost a loved one and you know we don't want to get to that point. No absolutely not. I hope that again our our leadership in our states and our cities just take decisive action and you know that I, I kind of alluded to it but I probably should say that you know I talked about like that we were agonizing over these trends internally and mm -hmm. you know we we made the very difficult decision to stop outdoor visits um, visits with families yeah visits and that that wasn't anything that we I, I intentionally use the word agonize um, that you know we know that the psychosocial health of our residents is so important. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think anybody does what we do for a living and doesn't understand right. that, that um, at our core, but in this time in Hamilton County, um, because we don't know who has it and who doesn't, we simply have to uh, protect our residents and, and really make sure that the outside exposure is um, greatly, greatly reduced. And so for the time being, we are not going to have in-person visits um, for families at Marjorie Lee and Dupree. Mm -hmm. And in lieu of those in-person visits, we're absolutely um, upping our game on technology and using all that time that we were having, um, hosting those visits with uh, in-person pivoting and providing those same visits via Zoom and right. other technologies so that residents and, and families can see each other um, frequently and um, enjoy each other's company. I know it's not the same. Yeah. But, um, gosh, we, we just have to, we have to get a handle on the county. And I know that once the county numbers um, start coming down that, you know, we, we will see a change in our, our trends and, and then we will be able to have in-person visits. Right. So it's not, it's not if we'll have in-person, it's just, it's just a matter of, of when. Right. And all the while I, I have to speak so highly of the staff that have really done such a great job of taking care of uh, our residents or catering to the needs of our residents. They've been fantastic from everything I've heard from you and Jenny Yolen and, and the other staff. So. They, they really have, Brian. They have just, what do we always say? They have risen to the occasion. They really have. They yeah. have reinvented their work. They have reinvented um, what they're doing. Uh, this afternoon, I was invited to um, a party at Marjorie Lee this afternoon at 4 yeah. via Zoom, and we're doing an, an art and writing um, a show yeah. in partnership with Leading Age Ohio. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's not that we can't do fun things. I mean, our, our staff have delivered wine and cheese to all the residents' apartment, and we're going to jump on the Zoom call at four o'clock and have a toast together and enjoy some art. And, and I just think that's wonderful. It's just an example of our staff just saying, let's not focus on what we can't do. Let's focus mm -hmm. on what we can do together. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, the, our, you know, our marketing team's been partnering with Life Enrichment to 
get those up virtually. And I think that'll be a, a really neat event. And there's some great, great artwork there from our residents. So can't wait to see it all. Well, Laura, thank you so much for uh, again joining us this week. Uh, I think these are always really great dialogue and discussion and appreciate you week in, week out providing updates and thoughts. Okay. Well, I'm going to bid you farewell and say, wear your masks and social distance. Please, please, please. <laughs> Will do. Thanks, Laura. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Well, Brian, this week it was wonderful to get Laura's take on what's going on in the news and to get those critical reminders for what we all need to keep doing right now. Yeah, it, it was certainly a little more somber this week, particularly as we hear the news across the country and even here locally about the spread of COVID and just how much we need to continue to practice our social distancing and wear our masks and just be alert and stay on guard with things. So, Well, on a, a happier note, uh, we have been making some progress, I know, on our virtual gala, which is coming up in October. Yeah, really excited. Um, obviously, we've got to do things differently. I think we've mentioned that in the, the past that we're going to be doing a virtual gala. This year's theme is Together We Rise. Again, a virtual gala held on October 9th. And so more details will be coming out. So we'll just encourage people to check our website. Uh, we really appreciate our sponsors. Uh, the Model Group has been such great partners in our affordable living communities and the construction of those and renovations of those communities. And then, of course, Ridgestone Builders, who have done so much of our renovations uh, at our communities, whether it's Dupree House and the Dupree Cottages or Marjorie Peely, and now down at Episcopal Church Home. They've, they've been wonderful partners throughout the years. Next, we've got my interview with M.L. Gorman of Dudley Square down at Episcopal Church Home in Louisville. So let's listen to that interview with M.L. Well, we're here this week with uh, one of our residents from Dudley Square down at Episcopal Church Home in Louisville, Kentucky, here with M.L. Gorman. Hello, M.L., how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good. Well, ML, you've, you've been with us a number of years. I think you mentioned it's been eight years and you were a, a school teacher, originally hailed from, uh, from North Dakota before you moved to, I think you said Louisville 50 years ago. South Dakota. Or South Dakota, I'm sorry. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. Um, so, you know, it's been about three months now since the pandemic started. And I'd just like to ask our guests, you know, how, how are you doing? How are you hanging in there? Well, I'm a very lucky person. I live in one of the cottages behind the Episcopal home, and we've been under self-quarantine. We weren't tied up. I mean, we didn't. The nursing home was really very tightly controlled, but we've been feeling not that tightly controlled, and I have a small garden outside of my house and a floor-to-ceiling window so I can enjoy looking at it. Uh -huh. And I've been able to go out and work in it so that I'm not feeling as if I'm in a New York apartment, right. which must be very hard to do. Yeah. And so I'm very happy. I'm not very physically active anymore as far as the things I always used to do. No more bike riding for me. <laughs> but, um, just to be able to be outside and fuss around in the garden and 
read the books that I've always meant to read, and so I'm really very happy. Yeah, what kind of gardening have you been doing? Do you do uh, vegetables? Well, I used to be a very dedicated vegetable gardener, but that's too much also. Yeah. This is just a flower garden, and I'm, I have at the moment, because it's that time of year, a regular bouquet of flowers outside my window. I've planned it so that it always looks like I've just picked a flower bouquet. <laughs> this particular July 1st, usually, is about perfect. <laughs> it's the perfect time of year to, to, for your blooms, huh? Yes, yes. They're all blooming at once. It's very satisfying. So besides gardening, I think I heard you say you've been reading some books, and do you have any yes. other hobbies that have been keeping you busy during this time? A young lady that's sort of my honorary daughter brought me some jigsaw puzzles. Ah. And I didn't realize how much of your time they took up and how intent I was on getting them done. I hadn't done a jigsaw puzzle for a long time. Wow. And that was very engaging. I'm I mean, not sure I'm going to do a lot more because I cut down my reading time, but it was beer bottle covers. Did they have a lot of pieces, several hundred or up in the thousands? Or it, Well, unfortunately, it was a thousand pieces. Oh, my it took, God. It was quite complicated, but it was fun. I'm not going to do any more, I don't think. Not Certainly not a thousand pieces. That does sound challenging and like it would take a long time. Before we, we started the interview, you were talking about you know, having gone through past crises and challenges in life. And I was wondering if you could kind of share some of those experiences that have, you've gone through in the past that have kind of helped you get through this current pandemic. My life has just been a long life that has been full would make when you're an elderly person would make so many things to think about, so many memories, that just the fact that you had the life at all would be a happiness. And I was lucky to have children. I have a son and a daughter. Mm -hmm. I have three grandsons and three great-grandkids, great-grandson and two great-granddaughters. And so I have family Mm -hmm. And you think of your friends, I'm sorry to say many of my friends have, are no longer w with us, but that's one of the things that happens when you're old. You can't help that. Yeah. But starting out in the Dust Bowl as a kid, right. and then going to the Chicago area, I went to Northwestern to school, uh -huh. living in Chicago for a while, and Milwaukee, and then moving to Louisville, which has been a wonderful place to live. Right. And when we first came here, we lived in the country. People were renting an old country sort of mansion that was in kind of bad shape, but was very interesting. And so we were able to live out when it was still country before the suburbs started to take it over. Right, right. And Louisville was very beautiful then. Right, right. And then I have ended up at this wonderful place to live. It's been a long life and very full. And at the moment, I'm very content. Yeah. 
I know you, you mentioned you lived through the Dust Bowl and even through, you know, the ends of the Depression or through the Depression. What was that like to... to, to uh, well, uh, people were very poor. And where I lived, because of the Dust Bowl, they were sort of double poor. Mm-hmm. The combination was pretty awful. Yeah. Um, President Roosevelt uh, stepped in and had many a lot of ideas that people on the Great Plains area were very grateful for. Then the next thing was Pearl Harbor. Well, sure. we were in high school. Yeah. And then World War II. I've had quite a few wars in my life. I'd like to not have any more of those. Yeah. It's just been one event after another, I guess. Right. Many of those things became, I think, rallying points for our country to come together and work together. Um, yes. And now we're having kind of an uproar. Yeah. I don't know what will come of it, but I'm, I have to say, with probably not any background that people would appreciate, because I'm from South Dakota, which didn't get me started in the Southern idea. Right. But I think that we have to make some kind of improvement on our split in this country between white people and black people. Yeah. You were a, a secondary teacher in high school of government and, and history. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that the, the civics part of that, the civility of the discussion where it's been kind of eroded, and I'm sure that's, that's something you, you probably taught quite a bit of back in the day as well. Yes. We did. After World War II, we were so proud of our country. Right. We thought we'd done something wonderful. Yeah. I don't think we're very proud at the moment. Yeah. And Europe has just said we can't even come to visit because we're not doing well about the COVID crisis. So not only are we not very important anymore, but we've been banned from going to Europe. Right. That's not a good progression. Right. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can talk more and listen more and and come together eventually. I know I lived in the New York area during 9-11, just outside of New York, and I was always so amazed how people came together so quickly after that event. And I'm I'm hopeful for that in the future with some, some positive dialogue. We need to be proud of our country. If we could get back to that of like right after World War II, how proud we were of how hard everybody'd worked and what yeah. everybody'd done. We need to feel that way and then we can pull together. We need we need a center that we're proud of. Right. And we don't have it right now. You're so right. And um I, I know we're kinda of coming short on our time, but I did want to ask you one last question that uh, I think is on many of our minds as, you know, we look forward to the crisis or this pandemic being over, what are you most looking forward to to doing again? I will be able to see my family again. Yeah. Part of my family lives in Bozeman, Montana. Oh, wow. Part of my family lives in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Yeah. I am removed from my family. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, that's the very first thing that will happen, and I will be very glad of that. Yeah, seeing your family and getting those hugs and, and kisses. Yes. 
that will be wonderful. I think many people have the same goal. Thank you so much for joining us today. I uh, really appreciate you coming on our podcast and, and sharing your thoughts and your experiences. Thank you, Brian. It was very nice to be able to do it. Stay safe. You too, I'm out. Thank you, Brian, for that interview with ML Gorman. I met her last year when we were videotaping at Episcopal Church Home, Dudley Square Community, and her garden is beautiful. It was good to hear that she's still doing that. She's still supporting her neighbors and our staff. She's a positive force down there for sure. Yeah, she she certainly was a wonderful interview, and it was so nice to touch base with her, um, particularly since we really haven't seen them in months, our residents, that is. So uh, it, that was truly special. And yeah, I, I, I wish I could see her, her garden this year because it sounds beautiful. Well, uh, that's it for this uh, episode of the Linkage Podcast by Episcopal Retirement Services. For more information about us, you can visit our website at episcopalretirement.com. We have a lot of great content, including our Linkage online blog, uh, resources that you can download to learn more about aging uh, and uh, all of the services that we have to offer and so much more. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube to see what's going on within ERS and our communities as well. If you have any questions or feedback for us, please email us at info at erslife.org. We love hearing from our listeners and we love getting feedback. The Linkage Podcast is produced by Kristen Davenport and Brian Reynolds. Yasha Davis is our associate producer, and our technical director is Michelle Hain. I'd like to thank our guests today, including uh, Vivian Klein and M.L. Gorman, and of course, a special thank you to uh, President and CEO Laura Lamb for always being available uh, and giving her, uh, her updates about what's going on within ERS. On, my, on behalf of myself, Brian Reynolds, and Kristen Davenport, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to our, our podcast next week. Thanks so much, Kristen. You bet, Brian. We'll talk to you soon.